Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is January 21st, 2013. It's Monday, and that means it's time for your feedback to me. That's stuff that you guys sent me over the past couple, three weeks, to jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com with something like article, jack, article for Jack, or video for Jack, or subject for Jack, or comment for Jack, anything. Single word, followed by the two words for Jack, goes into a special folder in my Outlook and gets set up to be gone through. I get hundreds of those a day. I can't put them all on the air, but I do pull some out every week and do a show like this. Uh, if you want to get your material on a show like this, that is the format to follow. If you don't follow it, your odds of getting on the air will go down exponentially. So please do that. It's not me being a hard ass or anything like that. It's just me giving you the best way to work with me and deal with my email volume. Before we get to that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day, number one today, ready-made resources. There's not much more you can ask for from a company than for their name to be what they do and then have them do it and do it consistently. That's what ready-made resources does. They provide all the resources you need for your prepping, ready-made, ready-to-go, point-click-buy, shipped to your prop to your home uh, with great uh, great pricing, great customer service, and uh, really fast response times. Check them out today at ready-made resources. And when I say all the resources... I mean all the resources. I'm talking about everything from the tactical to the practical, gardening to long-term food storage to guns uh, and, and firearms accessories and everything else you can think of, solar, wind, 12-volt appliances to go with those projects. Check them out today, readymaderesources.com. Next up today, bulkammo.com. Hey, I hold you guys for years to stock up on ammo, right? Right now, if you, if you looked at the price of 223 ammo, have you looked at the price of 308? Have you looked at the price of all the ammo that's the common caliber ammo that everybody says, I choose this because it's most available? And if you looked at its availability, um, it's not as readily available in a crisis scenario like we have right now with people worried about their rights as it would be at normal times. But I'll tell you what, bulk ammo still has the stuff. They still have it. You can still get it. Get on over there today and check out their prices. Uh, ammo's going for more now than it was a few weeks ago. We all know that, but they still have some of the best pricing available uh, and, and fairly good availability. Now, here's the good news. This is a great time to be buying the ammo nobody's buying. Take a look at shotgun ammo right now. It's gone nowhere in price. Uh, it might be a good time to stock up on some double-O buck or some slugs or just some uh, regular shot shells. It might be a good time to do that, and if you have other weapons... Uh, that fire the things that are not considered common caliber, their ammo prices aren't up right now. If you want 270 Winchester, 30 out 6, 30 30 Winchester, 280 Remington, you name stuff like that, it's available. Now, bulk ammo doesn't carry all of those, but it carries some of them. So check them out today, bulkammo.com. Remember, you do get a discount if you uh, are a member support brigade member to uh, bulk ammo. Uh, just go to the member support brigade area first and uh, use your discount code when you place your order there. Uh, I do want to announce something real quick here that uh, pertains to the Member Support Brigade, and that is that uh, a good friend of uh, the show is a guy named Devin Standard, uh, also known as Whiskey Rebellion. That's kind of his online handle, and a lot of you guys know him really well. He works with a company called Black Dragon Tactical. They have the Defender Series body armor and the Roni pistol carbine systems, which is a little system that basically turns a, a Glock handgun into a carbine rifle. Uh, they're really, really cool, um, and there is a now availability for you guys to get a discount from Black Dragon Tactical. We went round and round, and there's different margins on everything they sell, and finally I said, hey, could you, could you just do free shipping? And they're like, yeah, we could do that. I'm like, do free shipping. So everything at Black Dragon Tactical now comes with free shipping for MSB members. Check them out today, uh, blackdragontactical.com, and I put an announcement out on the blog last week as well about that. So just another thing we've added to the MSB. Also in that announcement, and I want to kind of throw out a little thing, because right now, and I'll probably, you know, if I can squeeze some shows in this coming week with the move uh, or early next week, we're probably going to have some days we're going to miss. Just I'm not going to have Internet at the new house until Wednesday next week. Um, but this is a good time to be getting ready to do, you know, get ready for planting your spring uh, gardening, your spring homesteading, and stuff like that. And it's a time when everybody's looking through seed catalogs and buying seeds. 
There are three seed companies that do discounts for the MSB. High Mowing uh, Seeds, Terroir Seeds, and the Victory Seed Company. And I would say even if you're not an MSB member, if you're going to be buying seeds, uh, even though they won't give you a discount because you're not the MSB uh, discount, right? Um, I would still say, you know, look and see if they have what you want first. All of these guys provide, you know, seeds that are not GMO. All of them guarantee that. Uh, all of them are great small companies run by small business people. And they all support this show. They all support this community. And I think that as part of a community, you should try to do business whenever it makes sense with people who support you first. And only when you can't do business with them, go do business with somebody else. And on that note, do consider joining the member support brigade because you'll get discounts to those three seed companies. You'll get free shipping from Black Dragon Tactical. And you'll get a whole bunch of other benefits that more than pay for the membership itself. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, and first responders like paramedics, if you email me with service discount in the subject line before, not after, before you join. Tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did. Uh, we will get back to you with a discount code that will thank you for your service and save you even more money. All right, so I got that wrapped up. I want to give you guys a little quick update on what's going to be going on with the show over the next two weeks and why there's going to be some real holes in, in the show as far as you know whether or not the show's going to be here. Um, we're moving this week. We have a truck coming tomorrow. We have some movers coming to help us on Wednesday. And we're loading that truck up. Now, that's not really a truck. It's a, it's more like a, a pod, right? Or a container that they're going to drop off. After we get that thing loaded on Wednesday, we're going to call them. They could pick it up Thursday. They might not pick it up till Friday. It's, it's that type of a thing. It's not like, you know, running your own U-Haul and doing it yourself. It's basically freight. It saves us a lot of money. But yet, get somebody else to haul and tote all that stuff down there to us. That equip that 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 container with all our stuff and it won't show up at our new house until Monday or Tuesday. So we're going to be living without most of our stuff. And I want obviously televisions and stuff like that in place before the cable guy comes in to hook up all the cable. And the cable is going to be also our new internet service provider. So we have to have high-speed internet to be able to run this show. There's no way around that. That was one of the big holdups in us finding a new a new place that was rural enough yet had this you know high-tech capability so I can continue to run my business and do the show for you guys. So that means I won't even have internet at the house until sometime Wednesday. So my son lives about an hour from there. So hopefully somewhere in that period of time, I'll be able to get some shows done, maybe on my old little hand recorder like I used to do them in the car for the first two and a half years. And then if I can drive down to his place, I can get some uploaded. But basically for the next, you know, from about, I would say, Wednesday of this week till Wednesday of next week, if there is any shows, consider it a bonus and consider listening to some old episodes during that period of time uh, because I just... I'm in this kind of really weird mode uh, during this period where it's very difficult um, to, to not, you know, really basically. The, the thing really is I need to be focused on getting this done. I don't need to, like, be trying to run the business full time and having Dorothy have to deal with all this crap. Um, you know, we're a family and we do things as a family. So I'm going to have to take the time. And I apologize uh, for being away from the mic during that period of time. But we'll be back, and the show is going to be better than it's ever been, and the YouTube content is going to be better than it's ever been. And the opportunities to come out and, and actually meet me in person uh, at our new location to do little workshops and things like that, better than they've ever been. So I really hope that we're able to do a lot of stuff with you guys in the future, and you can uh, you know give me some time to get this done. It's not an easy thing. And we're going to talk about moving today uh, in a completely different angle in just a second. Before we do that, though, I'm going to open up with a story that basically, to me, proves that we have lost all common sense in America. And specifically, that the people that are running uh, our school systems, uh, I'm not talking about teachers here, I'm talking about people that are actually running our schools, the, the administrators, the principals, etc., and, and in some cases the teachers, too, have lost their freaking minds. Uh, I'm not going to say who sent me this because pretty much... 80% of the audience sent me. I had to get a thousand of these because people are just like, really, this is, this is, this is what we need to be worried about. So here's the headline if you hadn't heard it yet. Kindergartner suspended for pink bubble gun threat. The five year old Pennsylvania girls talk of shooting a friend and herself with a pink gun that shoots out bubbles is being considered a terrorist threat according to the family's attorney. 
Five-year-old girl is the least terroristic person in Pennsylvania, uh, but she was going to shoot classmates and herself with a pink bubble gun, and that got her kicked out of school. Last week, the kindergartner was chatting in line when she was waiting for the bus. No one's sure exactly what she said, but according to the family's attorney, she told classmates something like, I'm going to shoot you, and I will shoot myself. She didn't have the Hello Kitty bubble gun with her at the time, but when school officials got wind of the conversation, they questioned the little girl, suspended her for her making a terroristic threat, according to the Daily Item newspaper, and told her parents she needed to be evaluated by a psychologist. All I know, the mother told the paper, is that my daughter has told me she said she was told she could go to jail, which is a very traumatic thing for a five-year-old to live with. The attorney says the little girl was questioned for about three hours without her parents. If that was my kid and you did that to my kid, I would physically kick your ass. I'm telling you right now, if this was me, the people that did this, I would have went down to that school, I would have drugged them out into the street, and I would have physically kicked their ass for doing that to my five-year-old girl. And when I got tried for it, for assault or whatever, I would have paid the fine and I would have smiled when I wrote the check. I'm telling you right now, you lock my five-year-old kid up for three hours without contacting me and interrogate her like a terrorist, I would kick your ass. And I think that whoever did this is damn lucky that the father of this little girl isn't the type of man that most men are. I think most men would kick somebody's ass over this. And unfortunately, we live in a world where that you'd probably go to jail for kicking the guy's ass. You know? And that's probably why the guy's ass isn't kicked. But somebody needs their ass kicked for this. Now, it's, it's probably women that did it, so then you can't do it. But you get my point. I mean, I would be so angry about this. It, this is insane. Let me read the rest of this, and let's talk about it a little bit, and what it has to do with some other things. Um, this is a good-natured little girl, Robin Flicker said, And this shows how hysterical people who work at schools have become since Sandy Hook. She attends school in the Mount Carmel Area School District in Northumberland County. That's in Pennsylvania. It's not far from where I grew up, and it makes me ashamed. It makes me ashamed, folks. A school administrator told PennLive.com that officials are looking into the incident and are not able to discuss disciplinary actions. My, again, my disciplinary action would be my foot in someone's ass if you did this to my kid. My next response would be, my kid would not go to the school again a day in her life. I don't care if I had to go out and take a second job to pay for private tuition. I would have my kid out of this school immediately. And I would be talking to every other parent in that school and say, let's put something together. Let's do something. Let's clean the damn place out. Let's get all of our kids out of this place. This is insane. And let me tell you something that's in this article. I'll put a link to it in today's show notes along with all the articles that I discussed today. But this is, this is bullshit right here. Quote, this is a good-natured little girl, end quote, Robin Flicker said. And this shows how hysterical people who work at schools have become since Sandy Hook, end quote. This has nothing to do with Sandy Hook. This kind of stupid shit has been going on in our schools for over ten years. A little kid makes a, a hat for a project, an art project in school. Okay, This is a real story happened a few years ago. And his thing was patriotism American and supporting our soldiers. So he glued the little green army men like he used to play with, like like the little plastic ones. Remember those? You get like a box, a bag of them for a hundred for a couple bucks at the store back in the day. Remember those? He glues some of those on the hat as part of his art project. He takes it to school. He's expecting an A. He's proud. He did a good job. They freaking suspended him for a violation of the firearms rule because the little toy man had a little toy gun. All right, This kind of crap, this has nothing to do with Sandy Hook. This is the people running our schools are too stupid to be running our schools. Uh, they say the little girl needs psychological evaluation and counseling. Let me tell you who needs psychological evaluation and counseling in this story. Every single person in that school that touched this, that didn't say, what, it was a pink bubble gun, she's five? Um, let's explain to her that you can't say things like that because it'll be misunderstood by idiots like you and that we need to not do that anymore and certainly do not bring that to school because it's a toy and it doesn't belong in school and we shouldn't be saying we're going to shoot each other in, 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 even in joking because it's misunderstood by dumbasses like you. Let's explain it to her that every person in that school who didn't do that, is a freaking idiot, and you need a psychological evaluation. And whoever made the decision to interrogate this little girl for three hours needs a very large boot inserted in their ass, okay? 
far enough that if you weren't wearing the boot when you did it, they could feel your big toenail scraping the top of their skull. This is insanity. And this is insanity run amok. And I'm hearing more and more stuff like this. And parents, I, I, I can't say, let's all blitzkrieg this. But there's no point to it. Right? Us, like, phone blasting the school or something. There's no point to it. This isn't a legal legislative branch or anything like that. This is a local issue and a local school. And the parents here, you guys, they're up there, they're asking for an apology and to remove the suspension from this little girl's record. That's all they're asking for. They're not asking for enough. You need to be suing these sons of bitches. Okay? You need to be getting every other parent involved and saying, what the hell is wrong with you? A Hello Kitty gun that shoots bubbles. I'm going to shoot you with my bubble gun. You, you, you got to be out of your mind. You got to be out of your mind. Speaking of being out of your mind, that brings me to the next subject that I have to cover today. Um, I don't even have set up for you guys a uh, an article for this because there's just so much news on it and it, it really covers so many places, but I've been getting a, a lot of emails from a lot of you guys in the state of New York. Because New York just passed just really an onerous firearms law that basically says no magazines that can hold over seven rounds. And the, some idiot in the legislature up there says, no one needs more than six bullets to kill a deer. Stop the madness. Stop the madness. I'll tell you what, I do want the madness to stop. But I want to stay on point here instead of just kind of beating up on New York. Because New York doing something stupid with firearms legislation is not, nothing new. The truth is this is just the latest example of stepping on the rights of, of a common person and ignoring our Second Amendment of our Constitution. I don't know what is so freaking hard for politicians to understand what shall not be infringed means. If there was a constitutional amendment... They said the right of Congress to tax the shit out of the American people shall not be infringed. You'd hear about what it means every single day of your life every time they wanted to tax you for anything. They would completely understand it if it was that way. right? But they don't understand it when it applies to you and me. Well, there's a lot to this New York firearms law that I'm not even going to go into. Massachusetts is looking at a similar law, possibly worse. Nothing new. Massachusetts, stupid firearms laws for a long time. Um, Connecticut, of course, because that's where Sandy Hook was, as though we, we have to do something. Okay, well, you, you already had done something to prevent the type of person who did what he did from buying a gun in your state, and it happened anyway, because criminals, people willing to kill somebody, will steal guns. They'll use a magazine that says for law enforcement use only when they kill people with it. They don't care, right? Once you've decided to shoot people... You pretty much said, all oh, these other laws don't pertain to me anyway. So these laws are stupid. Uh, Maryland is looking to do something equally stupid. Illinois, equally stupid. California, I'm sure, is on the path towards something equally stupid. All right. Now this is what I want you to think about here. I'm getting all of these emails from you guys that live in these states saying, what do we do to fight this? Well, um... I'm not going to say you shouldn't do anything to fight it inside your state. And if there's anything you can do, do it. But I think your odds of success are absolutely infinitesimally small. I think the only option that anybody in any of these states has as these new laws come out is to challenge them in the court system. And that can take years, just like Heller, D.C. That took over 20 years for that, that case to actually go to trial and for that uh, to be repealed. So I've been giving a lot of you an answer by email that I know you don't like. But it's the only answer I have. Leave. Leave. That If you live in a state that does not respect your Second Amendment right, leave. And I know a lot of you will say, well, there's plenty of rights that are being trampled on by even the states that support the Second Amendment right. What's different here? You do have a choice here. You, you have a choice here. Um, if you look at a lot of things that the government does that's wrong and, and fiscally irresponsible, you know, moving from one state to another doesn't really change that much. But in this case, it does. This is as night and day as an issue could be in a republic. The Constitution says you have a right to keep and bear arms. You're a law-abiding citizen. The very guns or the magazines that you possess one day that are completely legal and you've never broken the law in your life, Your legislature wants to turn around and pass a law that makes your possession of them criminal. And say, but don't worry, we've given you a grace period to turn them in. 
or to sell them to somebody outside of the state or to, in the case of the magazines in New York, now if you have a 10-round magazine, that's okay, but basically you have to go and, and block it and retrofit it so it can only take seven rounds. So basically you put a block. It's like plugging a shotgun. And if you don't do that, you're guilty of a felony. The only answer I have for you is leave. And what I usually hear back is family. And guys, there isn't anybody more acutely in touch with that than me right now. We decided that we are making our permanent residence Texas again because of family. That is the biggest reason why. Is the biggest reason why. But I'll tell you what, if it wasn't, I'd actually be looking to make maybe a state that's even more free than my own the, the next day we live in. I'd be looking at Arizona or Montana or Wyoming or Alaska right now if it wasn't for family. But Texas is damn good when it comes to firearms freedom. And I'll tell you what I would be doing. If I was a chamber of commerce in a small growing community in a state like Texas, and some people, they're doing this already, by the way, Texas, Arizona, South Dakota, North Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, um, and many other states that have great protections for firearms owners. Florida, okay, Florida is a great state from a standpoint of the Second Amendment and the rights of the Second Amendment in Florida. Um, I would be actively seeking to not just try to bring individuals, but businesses out of those states and into my own state. I'd be saying, especially a business with 20 to 50 employees, you know, I would be offering tax incentives. I would be writing a Blitzkrieg letter campaign. Come join our community. Come and bring your guns with you. The guns that Michael Bloomberg says are, are deadly, we, we understand that they're deadly. And in the hands of good people, they're deadly to bad people. And that's exactly the kind of person we want in our state. Come. Come. And I would say that anybody that makes this decision to leave, when you leave, you should write a letter to every member of government you can. Your mayor, your town councilman, your governor, your lieutenant governor, your state comptroller, your attorney general. And it should go something like this. Dear idiots, but don't say that. Dear sir, I have made a decision to leave your state, and in doing so, I'm taking all the revenue that I generated in your state and paid taxes on with me when I go. I have determined that you are no longer worthy of my citizenship or my money because you don't respect my rights. I have therefore decided to go to, insert state of your choice, where they do respect my rights. They run their government more fiscally responsible, and it's a better climate for my business and my personal freedoms. I will not be returning. Goodbye. And I think if thousands and thousands and thousands of letters hit the desk of the Comptroller General of New York or Illinois or California like that, it might just start to make an impression. I think one or two would, and I think it'd be, yeah, whatever, we don't want those people anyway. But when businesses start leaving, businesses that employ people and take the jobs with them and say, you know, we're doing whatever we can to make relocation for our, our workers as comfortable as possible, and the ones that can't come, we're sorry. They can add to your unemployment rolls. I really think this needs to happen. I can tell you there's a bigger reason for it than just the Second Amendment. That's just that's just like the final kick in the ass. Think about this. If you run a business in New York or Connecticut right now, and you employ 20 people, if you look at all of the regulation and overhead and tax that you have to deal with there versus if you relocated to somewhere like Austin, which has, if you need high-tech skills, they're there. If you need blue-collar skills, Houston, right? Uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you can find anything there. If you relocate, the cost of housing, much lower. The cost of taxes on your housing, much lower. The cost of income taxes, there is no state income tax. And many of these other states don't have it either. or They have very, very low comparatively. There's no corporate income tax in the state of Texas. It's an extremely business-friendly state. Folks, I'm telling you, it's the, the hallmark of a republic is that as citizens we have a right to freedom of movement in, within the member states and freedom at any time to change the state that we reside in and the state that we are a citizen of. And that was designed by the founders specifically to create individual liberty and let people keep as much control as they could as close to themselves as possible and to create a competitive environment where the states that do the best job with the people's money, the best job of innovating, the best job of making their citizens happy and free, 
would attract the best and the brightest. We've lost that. We've convinced ourselves that our roots are deeper than they are. It's time for people to start pulling up stakes and moving within this republic to places that are better suited to them. And it's time that every single person that does puts the state they're leaving on notice as to why and as to where they're going. And it's not really any different than if you had two companies that manufactured computers. And the computer company you were buying computers from for years started to have poorer quality and higher cost. And you might say, you know what? I'm not no longer buying from ABC computers. I'm buying from CBS computers. And when ABC computers asks why you're not placing a new order with them this time when you're upgrading, because your quality has gone down and your prices has gone up. Tell me that the quality of services in New York has not gone down while the cost of living there has gone up. This is a competitive world. This is a competitive nation. It's time to make a choice based on what's better for you, your family, and your business. Entrepreneurs of America, get the hell out of these states because I'm going to tell you something interesting. Every state that fits the bill of being completely screwed up when it comes to recognizing the existing rights of their citizens under the Second Amendment, is equally screwed up fiscally. If you look at, okay, look at a state, look, let's look at some states with, with good firearms freedom. Montana, Wyoming, Florida, Texas, Arizona. Okay? How do those states fiscally compare both with how much it costs you to live there how much tax you pay to live there, and how close they are to keeping their books balanced compared to California, New York, Illinois, Massachusetts, and Hawaii. There's your big five for the worst firearms laws, and I gave you the other five that are pretty much the freest five. Which of those states is a better business climate? Do you think there might be a correlation? Do you think there might be a link between the type of people running these states, if a state trusts its citizens with the rights they inherently have by their very creation, do you think that that alone means they're going to govern somewhat differently? That they're only going to take so much? If a state says, we don't trust you with your own right to defend yourself, if a state tells you, we think the Second Amendment that the founders clearly meant as a defense against us is about deer hunting and duck hunting instead of what it really is, do you think that means that that type of person is going to be far more likely to take other freedoms and liberties from you and see your money is their money? I think it's time for a mass migration inside the borders of this country. And I know those of you will say, it's a lot harder than it sounds. It is. I'm not making light of it. I'm not saying it's for everybody. I'm saying seriously consider it and start talking to other people about it. Start building entire groups. You know, New Hampshire has the Free State Project, right? Where they want everybody to go. How about a Free Nation Project? How about just, it doesn't, you pick, we'll pick 10 states that are the most free. And you pick one of those to go to. And try to spread them out where it's easier. Because sometimes it's not a big move. Some of you guys could move an hour and a half. Still see your family whenever you want, but freedom is just across the border. And what I want you to think about as you consider this for yourselves is the following reality. There are hundreds of millions of people in this world that live outside of the borders of the United States of America that would give up everything and leave their nation in half a heartbeat if they could be granted citizenship in this nation for the protections that are so dear to us in the liberty movement. If they will do that, maybe we can move within the borders of our own nation to the states that respect our rights and are fiscally responsible with the tax dollars that they take from us. Let's go on to something else. I'll tell you what I want to do now. I actually want to uh, reach out and, and prove that there are people in school systems that are not brain dead. And maybe North Carolina is a place that you could consider as well. I'm not real sure about their firearms laws there, but I think they're pretty damn good. Um, this is from Redfoot. 
Hey Jack, I'm an 8th grade language arts teacher in North Carolina. I wanted to let you know that after being inspired by some of the things you said about Sandy Hook, I got in contact with the local fire department and had the entire 8th grade get certified in first aid. Also being inspired by your 13 and 13th site, my students are embarking on a three-week-long project in which they choose a skill they want to learn, take the time to learn it, and present it to the class. Here are some examples of skills my students have chosen. Making hardtack, tracking while hunting, architecture, building a motor or repairing a motor, SWAT team room clearing, tons of cooking products, uh, projects, Finding edible plants and many others. Thought you would enjoy hearing that, Redfoot. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I enjoy hearing that. And it proves something. This concept of us taking it back one person at a time, whether it be from moving to another state or just doing what's right, is, is real. The, the American dream isn't dead. The dream of American freedom and American liberty isn't dead. There's just a lot of really fat, ugly, stinky people standing on it right now. And it's time, frankly, we start shoving their asses off of it and taking it back. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to take it back in my life. I'm going to live my... I get people all the time, well, I'm afraid to buy a house because they might take it from me. What about eminent domain? I don't give a shit. You want to take my house, you're going to have to come and take it from me. Well, you know, I got an email from a guy saying, you know, with all this prospective gun legislation, uh, I don't know if I really want to go out and buy any of these guns, even if the scare goes away and their price comes back down. Maybe I should buy guns that they're not going to take away. You got, you got to be kidding me, brother. You got to be kidding me. Mulan LeBay, baby, come and take them. I am not giving up one damn inch. I'm not giving up nothing. I'm telling you right now, I'm not doing it. And it's time for the American people, because I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. There's about 50 million of us out there that feel that way. And if 50 million, 50 million people collectively say, screw you, we're not backing down, they will. They'll blink first in that game of chicken. But we got to start at one person at a time, one kid at a time. I want to move on to something else um, that I think is kind of interesting and kind of uh, pertains to the topic that we were talking about today with moving. Many of you guys know Marjorie Wildcraft. Um, she's a really awesome lady. She runs Backyard Food Production. She's a sponsor of the show. And uh, if you're not getting her uh, newsletters, you may want to get by her site, even if you're not ready to buy her uh, her product, but just to sign up for her newsletter because she puts out some really great content. I want to read this latest uh, one that we uh, that we got from her because this has a lot to do with those of you thinking about making a move and making the right choice when you do make a move. A lot of preppers are looking for a retreat location in rural areas. Many people think that getting out as far as possible is the best strategy, but I'll tell you from experience, moving way out into the hinterland is the biggest mistake you can make. When we first panicked, we headed out as far as we could. We're at least six miles from the nearest little store, 25 miles from a small town. After years of living that far out, we realized as a family we wanted to be close to other people. I have seen the same pattern over and over again among people who move way out. They end up moving back in a little closer. We as humans are really social at heart, and quite frankly, we need other people for lots of basic needs. Who will you trade with to get something out of those extra batteries and wire you have? Who will sew you up after a misplaced blow with chopping wood? With whom will you celebrate the joy of growing all that squash? Who will help you fight off the renegade mafia claiming to be a new government? Who are your kids going to marry? Who knows the local plants to treat infection after the antibiotics expired? With whom will you make music and swap jokes? In the numerous interviews and reading I have done with people who have lived through collapsed currency or civil war situations, the best strategy for survival comes from being in or very close to a small community. So being near a small community is ideal. Americans with our car-centric culture have lost touch with the pedestrian lifestyle. How close is best? In the Middle Ages, many European markets were spaced approximately 14 miles apart. That way, you were only 7 miles at most from any town. 7 miles was a good distance as a person can walk into town, spend a few hours at church or a market, and then walk back home all within a single day. Being in the town itself, especially if you plan on being very active in leadership after collapse, is a good strategy. 
I recently worked with a couple who moved back into a town after years of being away out in the country. After having a big acreage around them, they saw, they thought they would be in town only temporarily until they found another farm that was closer in. But with an easy walk to work and biking to a grocery store and no gas bill, they decided to stay in town. They are working to teach neighbors how to garden, generally helping a small community prepare. So find a place that is somewhere between right in town and no more than seven miles out is a good guide. Finding the perfect survival retreat is a complex process, and I'll be writing more tips in future articles. And if you can't wait to learn more, I've recently written an ebook, Seven Shortcuts to Finding a Perfect Survival Retreat, available at RelocationShortcuts.com. All right, Marjorie, I think that's a great article. And I think that as so many of us talk about moving and finding something better in our lives, that that is some really wise words. It is easy to feel isolated, and it doesn't usually feel good. Very few people are happy as hermits. Some are. And if it's you, you know that, and you're probably not even listening to me because wherever you live, I'm probably not available. But I know that I, I like the concept of being able to talk to people and share what I know and teach others and, and have people that you can do business with and have commerce with. What's the point of a republic if you're a, you're a republic of one? You know, it might make a good slogan to be an army of one and for the army to recruit people, but the reality is an army of one is a terrible slogan for the army that's completely counterproductive to everything that I learned as a soldier, but somebody in a Madison Avenue marketing firm convinced somebody else that it sounded cool. It's compl I, I, I guarantee you very few drill instructors are pleased with the concept of an army of one. I, I really guarantee that. And, and I think a republic of one is equally, equally fall, faulted. And as you're considering your moves and you're saying, well, I want acreage and stuff, sometimes you have to go out a little bit, right? And then Marjorie's thing about seven miles, keep in mind, that's not seven miles from Dallas or Atlanta or Jacksonville, right? That's seven miles from little towns, seven miles or less. There's a lot of utility there, and generally there's other people around. Uh, but I can tell you there's places in Texas where you could be five miles from a small town, And there ain't nothing. So you can even find the feeling, if that's what you want, and still have the ability to interact with others, if that's what you want to do. And I just think it's something we all need to deeply consider. Because what really struck me in this email from Marjorie was how many times I've heard the same story. How many articles I've read. We moved out in the middle of nowhere in Oregon out in this farm, and it was 50 acres, and our nearest neighbor was so far away, we could only see them in the, in the winter when they first lit their chimney, and it was smoking heavily. And we thought it was wonderful and blissful, and now we live you know five miles south of Salem in a half-acre lot. And I almost think it can be counterproductive that some people... That it's such, they go so far out and so big that they retreat down when if they had done something, you know, of a couple acres and, you know, just outside of the main area and an easy reach back in, it would have worked out a lot better for them. It's kind of what we're doing this time around. And I think, um, I think it'll be better for us. I think we're, re we're really excited. My wife, every time, uh, we go see the place, she gets more excited. And she keeps talking about her ducks now. And I'm really excited that she's kind of got into that homesteading stuff with me now. Uh, she's she's going to be like a mother duck hen, I guess, you know, uh, with some ducks and chickens to look after. And uh, just consider it. it, especially if I've moved you to think about moving, you know, to Texas. Maybe out on the, uh, you know, out on the range is not the place to be. Uh, there's a lot of great communities in East Texas, small town Great communities in East Texas to check out. Um, and if you live close enough to town, you can get that high-speed Internet. And if you can work from home, man, I'm, I'm really telling you guys. And I'll tell you another thing. I think more and more of us, whether it's starting a business or just getting the job where you can do it, working from home has so many advantages. It'll, it'll give you your life back. And if you can do that, look into it as well. Let's stay with the moving theme without really staying with the moving theme today. Just to, I'm going to give you guys that live in California um, another little kick in the pants beyond the fact that California is the home of your you know illustrious leader, Dianne Feinstein, that your fellow citizens have seen fit to send back to the Senate so many times that she's probably going to die a senator. 
right? Struggling to die of old age, still holding a Senate seat. I mean, she's been around for decades, and you, and you can say whatever you want about, well, we're not all like that here. You keep sending this person back, now don't you, okay? Um, and, and that other one, oh, she's even worse. Uh, can't think of her name right now, but you know who I mean. Um, you know, let's let the whole Second Amendment thing go, and let's just, again, I, like as I said, if you look at the most states that are the most oppressive toward firearms, and you look at their fiscal house, they're the ones with the biggest problems. How's this for a headline of a little story here on the American interest? Blue storm ravages California City. California cities have been going bankrupt left and right over the past few years. And guess who told you they would before they did? That's right. Your Uncle Jack did that. That's, that was, you know, something I told you guys long ago. And maybe you should trust me now. Anyway, but what it is actually, what is it actually like to live in a bankrupt city? A New York Times profile of a post-bankruptcy San Bernardino paints the picture. And it isn't pretty. One, plummeting home prices, dead animals left to rot in the streets, and most troublingly, gang violence on the rise again as the police force trims down to a skeleton crew. And then this is a, what I'm reading now is a segment that they have you know, highlighted out that's from the New York Times article. In San Bernardino, dozens of officers have been laid off since the bankruptcy filing, leaving the police force with 264 officers down from 350 in 2009. Those who remain call in sick more often, said Police Chief Robert Handy. Emergency response times are up. Non-emergency calls often get no response at all. I'll tell you why they're calling in sick more. Because they're getting less time off. That's that's It's not said there, but I'll tell you right now, if you cut your workforce in law enforcement by a third... You just have people work a third more often because everybody's on salary. That's, so that's why they're calling in sick, because they need some time off. Um, Non-emergency calls often get no response at all. At any time, as part of a plan to reduce the state prison population, nearly 4,000 criminals who would have once been sent to state prison have been put in the custody of the San Bernardino County law enforcement authorities. Some have been released, putting more low-level criminals back on the streets of San Bernardino, Chief Hardy said, and adding to the challenges already faced by police. All of our crime is up, and the city has a very high crime rate per capita anyway, Chief Handy said. I can't police the city with much less than this. We're dangerously close as it is. As lawyers wrangle in court over San Bernardino's plan to cut $26 million from its budget and defer some of its pension payments, city officials say there is little more they can do than turn back the rising tide of violence. That's the end of the, the excerpt from the New York Times. This is what a blue death spiral looks like. Years and years of unsustainable pension promises, profligate spending, and poor fiscal leadership slowly add up until money runs out and there's nothing left to pay for the services that keep the city running. Bankruptcy can help a city's finances, uh, get a city's finances back on track, but it's extremely difficult to run a city on a shoestring budget as San Bernardino is now learning. It is truly unfortunate that the good citizens of San Bernardino are caught up in this mess. In the meantime, this should serve as a warning to the rest of us. I'll tell you who it should serve as a warning to. California, the entire state. This is your future. I'm not saying it's not going to happen elsewhere. I'm not even saying it's not going to happen in states like Texas or North Dakota. But it's going to take a hell of a lot longer to happen there, and there's a hell of a lot more resources there, and more and more of the good-paying jobs and the... Aggressive entrepreneurs are going to go to those places and leave. What do I get out of California right now other than climate? Really, I mean, somebody can somebody tell me what I get out of California I can't get in Texas or Florida right now? For less money, for less taxes, and with more freedom. Give me one good reason other than you like people that you know that live there for anybody to live in California today. Other than, well, the weather's great. But you can find great weather other places. I'm sorry. You don't have a monopoly on it out there, guys. And maybe if it rained once in a while, you would be able to keep your uh, farms from drying up and blowing away because you decided to turn the water off to save a freaking fish that's not even indigenous to the waterway that you've shut off. Great job, idiots. All right? I see no reason to live in a place like California. And I'm telling you, Massachusetts, New York, Illinois, Hawaii, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Maryland, New Jersey, all right? I just gave you the list of the shittiest states to live in as a, as a person that wants to own a gun. I've also given you a list that 100% lines up with the most likely to face crap like this. 
It's already happened in New Jersey, Camden, New Jersey, crime asshole of the world, basically shut down the entire police department to get out of the union officers and hire non-union officers. It was the only way out. How many pensions are going to be paid? How many? And, and this is the problem. These states have done this crap for so long, the people that live there are unwilling to give up anything, so they're going to lose everything. There are so many of these places where these pensions have been promised, where they can go in and say, look, here's what we can do. We can give you 60%. And everybody could get 60%, and they could actually fix it for a time anyway. And what the people are doing in these situations is, nope, we're not doing it. You promised it. You're, I earned it. You're going to give it to me. And they're going to get nothing. And it's going to bankrupt the entire country, folks. This is... I've been saying it for so long now that I probably stopped saying it for a while, and I assume everybody knows this. I've been saying for years, this country goes over the edge, not at a national level first. It goes over the edge at a local and state level. The municipal defaults will continue until there's so many states and so many cities and so many counties with their hand out to Uncle Scam that Uncle Sam goes, I'm broke, I can't do this. And then the whole thing comes down. This bankruptcy of this country is coming from within. It's not an external problem. It's not a problem of them not taxing us enough. right? The politicians want you to believe it. It's not even directly a problem of too much spending. It's the complete uncontrolled growth of government and government entitlement and government everything. It's not the spending. It's why do we have the spending? Because the government has decided that it needs to be in every business under the sun and do everything for everybody. That's what's driving the spending. And this belief that if you just promise them enough, they'll vote for you again. It's unsustainable. It is a blue storm. It's exactly what it is. And you're seeing it play out in places like San Bernardino. Okay, You're seeing it play out uh, Central Falls, uh, Rhode Island. You're seeing it play out all over the place. North uh, North uh, Las Vegas. And, man, you talk about a place, you know, Nevada is, is all right, business climate. But you talk about a place that's pushed the resource limitation to where it's about to collapse itself for a totally different reason, it's Nevada. Too many people living in the middle of the desert. Lake Mead draining. It's 100 feet lower than it was in the past. 100 feet Eventually, the pipes that feed Vegas, they're going to be above the waterline. Good luck then. It, it really is a point where people need to start being strategic about where you plan to make your stand when this thing comes down. And California ain't the place, folks. You talk about resource limitations there as well. You know How much of their water do they get from Lake Mead? You got one lake supplying five states in a desert with a collective population of about 50 million. And most of the states in that group are too stupid to manage themselves fiscally responsibly. California certainly is. It's a disaster of, of unimaginable proportions that's about to hit this country. It really is. There's no backing out of this. There's no getting out of this. There's going to be pain. And I'm serious when I say it's time to think strategic relocation. And to understand that the, the collapse will not be like the movies, the TVs, and the fan fiction novels tell you. Where everything will just stop and it'll be without rule of law, coast to coast and all. No, it will be a more oppressive government, a more oppressive police state, and a rebuilding into a new economy. And if you're going to fight that battle and win, you want to be in the place that gives you the greatest advantage in that situation. And there's some places that do and there's some places that don't. And I'm just saying, isn't it funny how if I look at the states that are the most restrictive with gun rights... I also have the states with the worst fiscal houses in the nation. I probably, if I, if I picked the 11 states with the worst firearms law, how, how, how likely is it that when I just covered the thing a couple weeks ago about 11 states in this, this nation now have more people on government payrolls and government benefits than in the private sector? More takers than makers. What do you want to bet that out of that 11, 10 of them would, would match at least? I'm not even going to do it, but I already know what's going to happen. It, it, isn't it funny? I, I really want you to think about this today. The next time you're having a conversation with somebody about the Second Amendment that just doesn't get it, change tactics and just say, hey, 
Can you tell me the three or four states that you think financially are in the worst shape in this country? And I'm like, what? Just, I mean, would you agree that it's California, New York, Illinois? That, that those three are in really bad shape, right? And when they go, yeah, they're pretty, okay. How are the firearms laws in those country, those states? And let's say, listen to some free states that have like really, uh, uh, liberal firearms laws, right? Texas, North Dakota, Wyoming, Alaska, Arizona, Florida. These states are doing much better than the rest of the country. They really are. The only thing that really hit Florida hard was there was so much inflation in real estate property, uh, real estate values down there because, well, it's a great place to live. Lots of ocean probably. He's got three sides of ocean to pick from, right? But I mean, other than that, Florida's in pretty good shape. You gotta think about that. You gotta think about, you know, there just might be a reason. There just might be a connection there. Maybe we should examine that one a little deeper. And uh, here, I'm going to go ahead and wrap the show up today with some final thoughts. And it's certainly not in response to any individual email or feedback that I've been getting uh, recently. It, it's more a general vibe of people ju that are just scared because they know that what we're doing is unsustainable and they know it can't go on this way and they want to know what to do about it. I, I, I bet I get 20 emails on a given day that are something to the effect of, I just really figured out how screwed up the economy is and that there's no way out of this mess and that we are going to have some kind of a major economic catastrophe. A lot of times it involves an email that has a, uh, a link to a YouTube video with some idiot uh, that's talking about the economic collapse um, who makes a very compelling case for something because, well, if you can do math, you can figure this out, but then goes off the deep end in a tinfoil hatville and they're going to throw us all in FEMA camps or you know, all this crap. So the first thing you're going to have to do if you want to survive what's coming is understand what's coming without a lot of hype, without a lot of hysteria, and understand that what I'm going to tell you is coming is bad enough all by itself. You're looking at the absolute destruction of the wealth of most Americans. That's, that's what you're looking at. The absolute destruction. Not the elimination, but the destruction. What you do have will be worth less than it is now, and what you keep will be less than you have now. You're looking at people who expected to retire with a half a million dollars in a 401k, right? Uh, you know, with maybe 300 or 200, and that 200 now buying, uh, you know, maybe what you today would be paying, I don't know, uh, say 50 to 100 thousand. Imagine that you had a half a million, now you have 250. But it only effectively spends like 50 to 100. That's going to happen to a lot of people. A lot of responsible people that followed the rules and did what they were told and saved 10%. And if you have a million, just move the numbers. It's the same net result. A lot of those people are going to be coerced in, that are still in the days where they're still saving and putting money away into putting their money into the government through government bonds, through just simply changing what makes up 401k choices, which has already happened, to a new program designed to save and protect you, uh, which will be basically a privatized version of Social Security that will be mandatory retirement plans that, that, that put your money into government bonds to keep trying to keep this beast alive, keep the damn thing from going into a death spiral. And eventually it will. And eventually people will realize that all of the people out there that have been screaming for years, we've got to do something, we've got to do something. And then a few years ago, you'll notice that a lot of the people that were saying we've got to do something changed what they were doing as a Paul Revere. They went from we've got to do something to we individually have to protect ourselves because there's nothing that can be done now. It's over. They've, they've, they've pushed it too far. There is no going back. There is no shift. There's no change. There's no balanced budget amendment coming, folks. There isn't one. It's a lie. It's a myth. All the guys with the R's after their name in government that talk about one are full of crap. It ain't coming. It ain't happening. It's not going to happen. The people saying it have no plan for it to happen. It's easy to promise something when you know you can't do it. And you know you'll be able to keep promising that you'll try and you keep won't be able to do it. The government can't run on a balanced budget right now. 
Not without cutting it in half or more. And they won't do it because it's not about money. It's about power. And tyrants do not relinquish power. It must be taken from them. So there's only one place that this ends. National bankruptcy. Total national bankruptcy. Economic collapse of this country. And then no. Then no, they don't round you up and put you in a FEMA camp. Stop listening to that guy, please. If you can't separate his bullshit from his facts, stop listening to him. If you can, then he's entertained. And he brings a lot of good information. You know who I'm talking about, Mr. Jones, right? But if you can't separate the lunacy from reality, stop, because you're going to hurt your brain. What happens is the economy immediately begins to take on a life of its own. Things that had no value immediately have value. Things that had value have no value. People start to trade and do business because the market is a living thing. It won't go away. And as much pain and misery as there is, something has to come in to take its place. Now, your leaders will have a plan. They already have one. They already know what they're going to do. They already know what the solution is going to be. And we may or may not be able to change that. But the market itself, and this is what people don't understand, The wealth of this nation is not in its gold reserves under Fort Knox if it's even there. It is not in the paper currency. It is not in Wall Street. It is in the land, the resources, the ability to grow food, the ability to harvest game, the ability to raise cattle, the ability to do things. This nation is extremely wealthy in true material wealth. And that's what will save the country from going into complete oblivion. No, the another great guy in the industry, right, Mr. Rawls. But I'm sorry, the Belgians aren't coming to repossess America because they didn't get their payment. It's not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. They're not going to come over here and chemically gas you as part of a UN peacekeeping force. And some guy in Tennessee isn't going to run the country. The nation will continue because there's enough of us that demand that it continue. But it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot. And it's going to devastate people. And you're talking about something that's multi-generational before it's really back on its feast. You're talking about something that if you don't do things now to be prepared for then it's maybe your kids or your grandkids that are part of the you know the 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 pioneering growth phase on the other end of this because what this country is doing is following a pattern that everything in nature pattern uh, follows everything pioneering growth climax collapse every forest does this Every lake does this eventually, no matter how big. A bigger lake takes longer for it to happen, but every lake does this. Every farm pond will eventually become a field again as the topsoil grows underneath it. It's the way of things. And how long that cycle takes can be greatly variable based on the people running the system. If we design a forest from the very beginning with the intent of once it's in climax, maintaining that climax for a thousand years or two thousand years or three thousand years, we can do it. It's been done. There's a food forest in Morocco on one of Jeff Lawton's DVDs that's over two thousand years old. It's still in climax. It's still being maintained. It's still feeding people. If you want to build a republic that can sit in a climax mode for a thousand years, it can be done. We didn't do it. We didn't do it. On our watch, this nation has fallen further than it fell during its entire existence. We have done more damage to our nation, our citizens, our people, our liberty, and the world as a whole in the last 20 years than this republic did from 1776 up until 20 years ago. There's a lot of things in that longer period of time that helped lead to this, But we let it go. We collectively stated that the temperature of our pool was more important than the integrity of the people running our nation. Here's the good news. 
It's a decision. It's a choice. And you can change the choice at any time. But you have to understand, you cannot, you will not, you're not going to change the choices of your fellow citizens. You do, on some levels, have to be a republic of one. The good news is if you become a republic of one and you rise up above this bullshit and look around, you'll start to notice there's a hell of a lot more of us than you think there are. And there's more of us every day. And it's going to be us. It's going to be us that will form anything from a neighborhood watch to a local militia if necessary if things start to fall apart, to protect not just ourselves, not just our families, but our communities. I talked a lot about relocating today. Pick a place you love. Pick a place you want to be. People ask me all the time, you're great on, you know all about Texas. Where I'm going to move there. Where do I move? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have any idea where you should move. I really don't. I said, my family lives here. I want to be within an hour and a half of this place. And I drew a circle. If it was in that circle and it was outside of the city, I looked there. Because I love the overall place, right? And I know what I want out of it. That's what you need to do for yourselves. And if it's where you're at right now, then stay. Fight for it. You know, I know I said some of you guys should leave New Jersey or New York today, right? And I think some of you should. But if you want to stay there and fight, God bless you. Fight it. A fight for liberty somewhere is a fight for liberty everywhere. Remember that. Remember that. That's something I've been telling you guys for four years now. A fight for liberty anywhere is a fight for liberty everywhere. Fight for it. But understand this. The people in power, the people in power today are not even your politicians, your elected officials. They are the corporatocracy. They are the giant mega corporations and the mega banks that fund them. And your politicians are their puppets. They don't have to be. You want to make a difference in government today? We need to put good people in county government level, city government level, and state government level. You need to forget about the, the, the federal government at this point. We need states to stand up and say, no, no, we're not going to do this. We need states like Wyoming and Texas that currently have legislation in their state houses that basically say, if you ban a class of firearms... And you try to enforce that law in this state. We will arrest any federal official that does it and charge them with a felony in our state. You're not going to do this. We're drawing a line in the sand. And it needs to be everywhere and anywhere. But in the end, it still comes down to you. And you need to build your life in a way that's as resilient and redundant as possible so that you can deal with this. Because the truth is, as bad as what's coming is, we can deal with it, we can get through it together, we can come out the other side, and we can be better for it. And people are going to have to adapt. I'm just suggesting you start adapting today. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.